One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Yeah. Happy days. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby. Doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I am JB here with Phil. Hello, Phil. Hello, JB. Uh, and Tim down the line. Where are you, Tim? You're in a studio somewhere. I'm at uh, News UK in London Bridge, home of Virgin Radio and Talksport. Wow. Which I've been uh, on air with today. Hence, I'm down the line. Ah, were you doing your rugby show? Yes, I mean they obviously kept me for the the big gun. That they said, "It's all right, Tim. We'll save you from the four home nations games yesterday, and you can work on Japan, France. We need we need the big guns for that one." Exactly, you need the <laughs> yeah. knowledge, don't you? You can't just work that and sort of guess your way through it. Yeah, and my my penance is next week. I, I I've, they've said, "Look, unfortunately, you're going to have to go to Twickenham and work on the England game." So, yeah. uh, who is nice. it next week? Roundabouts, South Africa, is England, it? South Africa. Yeah. Tasty, very very tasty. But, but before we get before we get onto any sort of rugby chat, just a quick welfare check. Are you all right, JB? Because your voice sounds a bit hoarse. Uh, a couple of days worth of drinking, mate. So, yeah, we, me and Phil had a few beers last night, and we had a few more beers on Friday night in Manchester. And you didn't I'm come. Sorry about Friday night. I'm sorry about Friday night. There was a point at which because we'd said we were going to go out after playing a vets game against Wilmslow. Yes, this is true. What I'd forgot what what I'd forgotten is that. Uh, Louis had his sale sharks development DPP thing. How did I completely go? forgot about that? So I w- so I would have had to bail on the rugby game were it not cancelled anyway. Uh, but consequently, it just made. Uh, bearing in mind, I was heading down to London and doing work. Blah. Anyway, it just made Friday night. By the time I got back home, and it was yeah, it was too late. But I I feel bad. How is How was DPP? Sorry? What what do you think of that scenario over there? It's good coaching they get. It's really good. It's it's cool. Um, yeah, rugby's different to football. So there's 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 one lad who plays in our under 15s rugby team, and his his brother is on the books at United, and he's 14. He's I think he's 15 years of age now. Um, I think basically if you're if you're in an academy, a Premiership academy, age 15, you're basically going to earn a living from playing football at, at some level. Yeah, you're that good. Whereas rugby, I think it's very much more like your players. The development of players physically has such a bearing that it doesn't matter if you miss out now. And and if you're in now, you might be the best player in your age group, but another couple of years, you'll be, you, you won't be as effective. Yeah, quite possibly. And, or you might just change position. Yeah, quite. Yeah. So, so it was interesting to watch. I picked, picked up loads of coaching tips. So mm. when, well, I used to have a client who was a coach at United. I've not seen this guy now for a long time because he's retired. But he was an ex-teacher and he did the... I want to say something like some ridiculously young age group, like under eights or something. Yeah. So they need a goalkeeper, right? 
and they'll go through hundreds of lads to find yeah, their goalkeeper yeah. for under eights. But here's another thing they do as well. Their kit is made by Adidas. Well, it was made by Adidas. I don't know if it still is. But so, you know, same as the first team kit at a point in time. Yeah, and so... It, and it still is by Adidas now. Yeah, so Adidas supply United with the first team kit. Yeah. So when these kids go to United to play, and they're divvied up into teams and they're playing small-sided games and whatnot, they're never allowed to wear the Manchester United kit until they become a Manchester United player. That's why they're always in, like, Germany kits or any other international kit which Adidas supplies. Ah, but not United. Never get to wear it. Until you're the real deal. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah, make it special. I uh, shall I, I'll just do a little bit of the housekeeping? Uh, thank you for listening. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. We're the only podcast there for you every single Monday morning. And we're there for you 52 weeks of the year. And we've been there for over nine years now into our 10th season. And if you appreciate that, hit subscribe. Go to patreon.com forward slash eggchasers. And, uh, yeah, we've got, we've got a lot to pick the bones out of today, lads. Yeah, haven't we, Just Well, before we go go on, a bit of a mere culpa. Uh, I need to correct the, we- correct the record. I did a whole story last week about how a ref watched a kick go over the posts. Yes. And what I actually meant to say is the exact opposite. The ref did not see a <laughs> kick go over the posts against Tar- Tarleton. He saw a kick miss the posts, but he did see the kick. So... You go back and listen to that, and I don't know how I managed to say the polar opposite to what I actually meant. But yeah, that it, happened. It does make more sense now. It makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> a lot more sense. So I am very, very sore today. I played second team rugby for the first time in ages. I played a horrible, horrible game. Uh, and then I went drinking, and now I am in a world of trouble. And you were drinking the day before that as well. I was. Uh, and... Or time we we finished drinking at maybe two or three a.m. on the something like that on the Friday night. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was all kinds one. of toxic all kinds of toxic masculinity going on already on the podcast. Well, I'll tell you what, mate. I, I ended up uh, being introduced to the Masters women's record holder powerlifter for for, for the UK. <laughs> she was very. Wow, that's... She was awesome. Very impressive. Awesome. Yes, that could really lift. Yes. Yeah, that was quite good fun. That's yeah, that's very cool, isn't it? So, where do you want to start then? Uh, for me, got to be England. Um, there might be some arguments say start with Wales, but I just saw less of that game, so I can talk about it less. But I'd I'd rather start with England. But happy to go wherever you boys want to go. Well, okay. Did you watch England? Yes. Well, let's start with watched, England. Yeah. Watched it. Watched the whole of the first half live. I was kind of dipping in and out of the second half live because it was bath time and bedtime and all the rest of it. But I rewatched the second half this morning. Uh, so I've I've watched it all um, and some of it twice. So that first half was truly dreadful. Would you agree with that? Uh, the England performance was truly dreadful. Yeah. England performance was absolutely awful. I thought the New Zealand performance was very, very good. Very accomplished. Very well, Yeah, but the, the two are, you cannot, you cannot, one doesn't come without the other. Like, I think it's important that you said New Zealand were, Excellent. Yes. Because, yeah. Yeah. Well, England. I think. I think actually, Eddie Jones was Jones was correct when he said we were only two or three percent off. It, England weren't. I didn't think England were terrible. It's just New Zealand were really good, and that and that does happen at the highest level. And it's important, and it's a very English thing to do to um, to write off a, a really comfortable win against Japan because it's only Japan, and to get really up in arms when you lose by a point to Argentina because you feel you feel like you've got a divine right to beat Argentina. And similarly, New Zealand had an exceptional first half. 
and that and and yes they they completely rocked england it was poor by their standards but it, the two things are important yeah put, putting the two things together even with how well new zealand played there was so much frustration from me in the way that england played in that first half and it was the old mistakes, the mistakes that we've seen many, many times where they get into good positions and are just sloppy around the ball. They don't mm. don't look after the, the ball, they don't protect the rook. Um, or the the absolute criminal, stupid penalties being compounded by stupid penalties. Like giving three consecutive penalties in a row and New Zealand 100, near enough 100 yards of field position just for... Silly, silly offside, then flopping on um, off your feet at a breakdown, and then something else, brain dead. So that first half was, it was, it was a very good performance by New Zealand, but it was ve- it was very poor by England. Yeah, the set piece for England was poor, incredibly was, poor actually. It, it was a mixed bag, I thought. Go on. Well, the um, first half, if you take the scrum, yeah, New Zealand win scrum penalty, dominant scrum. Then England win a scrum penalty, dominant scrum. So, well, England only won sixty percent of their scrums. Uh, they they won a few scrum penalties as well. So I, I you know, I look at this England team, and outside of Tom Curry, and Courtney Laws when he's fit, I just think they look lightweight. I just don't think they're big enough around the park. I don't think they've got enough world class players. Maybe outside of Marrow, maybe Marrow at six, but I just don't know where the quality is going to come come from. This team, uh, I think they've, I think they have got enough quality, and I think I think it was very interesting to see the performance uh, of the uh, what, do they, what do England call them finishers? Yes, in in the pack, because I thought you you would argue that the the finishers, the five finishers who were on the bench for the pack, Jimmy George, Mako, Will Stewart, uh, Ribbons, Ribbons, and Jack Willis. They're not as good as the people that they were replacing. But I'd say, to a man, they all perform better than the people that they replaced. Well, I mean, I, I know Tim was talking in the week that he expected a Will Stewart double off the bench. <laughs> um, but Dave Dave Ribbons, for me, is an absolute revelation. He, he was class, and that that offload. Yeah. But I, I actually think the best... That, that was his second offload in that movie. He did two offloads out the back like that in that, in that in the one same... try, which, by the way... By the way, let, let's just balance up some of the, the concerns with the positives. That Freddie Stewart try was one of the best England tries I have ever seen. Yeah. Ooh, big shout. I think I think it was. I think it, it was, was a good try. Definitely I, I a very was, good try. It was like a full team move mm. from what eighty meters? Their own yeah, inside their own twenty two. Yeah. And finished with just the most rapid ball, brilliant decisions, great attacking shape. Fabulous hands, Dave Ribbons twice with the offloads. It was it was an amazing try. And I so I think so the the plays that came on. I, I, I thought obviously um, Will Stewart got a lot of plaudits for finishing the two tries, but I thought Mako was amazing. Like Mako, Mako looked absolutely brilliant. He was carrying multiple yards on multiple phases <laughs> in very very quick succession. Um, but let's. Because we talked, we we spoke about the first half, which was good from New Zealand and bad from England. The second half, you've got the last eight minutes, which stands alone. But I thought England were the better team for the majority of the second half. They just couldn't get the points on the board. Yeah, I did feel yeah. like they had 
quite a lot going on for them. They had a lot of territory. They had a lot of possession. They had a lot of control over it. They forced um, some odd decisions from New Zealand, forced them to try and run it from their own line, which obviously they did successfully once with the crossfield kick for Riku Yuani, but yep. they forced them to try and do it multiple other times and England generally got out on top. They forced that odd little uh, dink over the top from TJ Perinara with uh, six minutes to go maybe that invited more pressure and led to, I think that led to the second try. Um, so I think overall England were were comfortably the better team for the majority of the second half, um, which you don't often say against New Zealand because New Zealand are so fit. They, they ordinarily put 10 more points on the opposition in the second half and towards the end of the second half. So this was a a weird reversal of that. But that last eight minutes, everything that had kind of gone wrong in the rest of the second half just went right. And they they changed up the way they played. They played a lot more rugby. They played wider with more depth, with more pace. And they did they did look brilliant for that last eight minutes. Yeah, there's a few things about New Zealand here. First thing is, they are obviously still very dangerous. Um, that first half shows what opportunists they are. Well, they're three tries. Yeah. Yeah. Br- I mean, brilliant, uh, clinical. The, the Papali'i one is a great read. The Cody Taylor one, just exploiting space, <laughs> putting pressure on. And then the Rico Yuani was yes. just an, a wonderfully ex- executed little identification and, space. And tactically, they'd obviously s- spotted something. And that crossfield kick was just wrecking England and putting, making the wingers not know where to be when. And so they, they, they'd done their homework and come up with a plan. And they, they just tore us to pieces in the first half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the counter to that is New Zealand are deeply and maybe critically flawed. You put pressure on New Zealand and they will ship points. They're not they're not as tough as the New Zealand of old. Or maybe they're not as smart as the New Zealand of old. I don't know which one it is. But there's something which is not quite right with them because they can be fragile. Well, if you look for the whole of the rest of the game and the whole of the rest of the second half, they defended very, very well on their own line. They yeah. de- they, England mm-hmm. had multiple, multiple phases and at key moments New Zealand either held them up or stop them short, or forced crucial turnovers. Um, so for the majority of the game, they were uh, winning that arm wrestle and um, winning outright. Now, they, they did what they struggled with in that second half was um, adequately e- um, exiting. Yeah, They struggled to properly relieve pressure when England built the pressure over and over again. But they handled it really well until that last eight minutes. And may- maybe that's the... Maybe it's the difference in depth from the bench. When England's bench came on and the drop-off was not significant, maybe there was a bit of a drop-off there for the New Zealand uh, Type 5. Let's just talk a bit more about England's second. So I've always said I'm not impressed with their pack. I'm not impressed with their pack. Like I, say, I think Tom Curry is the only world-class player in, in, in there at the moment. Um, Jack Van Portfleet didn't quite do enough for me to nail down the starting nine job. As much as I like the kid, I think he's a great player. He's not the starting nine yet. Now that that is an interesting one. So he had he had a horrible game. Yeah, he had a horrible first half. He threw the intercept. Dawson Papili. Yeah, his um, kicking was not great. There was one box kick in particular where it's one of the few times where England got quick front football in that first half, and he just did a little box kick to nothing with two men in the twenty-two. Disappointing that because he can really bang those box kicks. I mean, when it. When it comes to just the physical ability to put length onto a kick, I think he's as good as anyone. 
So it, you know, as a shame that he goes down that decision making route. But it's the interesting thing now is, so I think I think reverting back to Ben Youngs would be the wrong thing to do. A even though disaster. Ben, ben Youngs played great when he came on, mm-hmm. but um, this was only Van Poelthi's third start. Yeah, and it's his biggest, highest profile start. Like, You've but, got to say, but, if but, Danny Kerr played like that, he'd have been subbed much earlier and he'd never be playing for England again. Yeah, and the fact that he made it to 53 minutes, I think, shows that Eddie Jones is going to stick with him. He will learn an enormous amount from that from that test. He will, le- he will learn about pressure. He will learn about decision-making. He will learn what it's like. Or he has experienced what it's like to play just about the best team in the world yeah, when, they, uh, when they are playing at their best. Yep. I'd echo that, Phil. And I think there's a, there's a little bit, JB, if I, if I, if I might say, quite, everything seems very reactive in what you're saying. Oh, I watched the game uh, and reacted to the game. You watch the first half and England are, are dreadful. You watch the second half and you say New Zealand are, are weak and fragile. Although they are, they are. Van Port, they? You, Van, you watch Van Portfleet have one horrible 53 minutes and say he shouldn't be England's starter. Well, it's wait, just a bit. wait, wait for this. Um, I don't, th- I don't know if I don't know if any like England were not doing the fundamentals correctly in the first half. And yes, he had a particularly poor game. And actually, with good ball off the top of the line out, he should have spotted Papali. And yeah, so he had a poor game. I'm not making no excuses for that. But New Zealand absolutely ripped into England's breakdown. And the ball that he did have most of the time was dreadful. And he was clearly under pressure. And like Phil says, he will learn. And England as a team will learn about about, about how you, you have to take care of those basics. It shouldn't be a lesson they need to learn, but nonetheless, they will. Yeah, basics are important. Um, Manu, what, what, what did we think of Manu? Um, his break... Uh, from the when he snuck round the back of Marcus Smith, yeah. um, breaking the second half was excellent. I think I think it was Bowden Barrett made a brilliant. It's either Bowden or Richie Munger made a brilliant stop on him five meters from the line. Other than that, fairly quiet. Do you think he? Well, I think this coincides with his wholesale career. To be honest, uh, it looks like a declining star. He's still got a lot of positives, but England have just not found the way to use him. In England, it did. England's uh, revival and better performance. It coincided with a few things, but it did coincide with Slade coming on. Although, yes, yeah. it did. Um, He's it a hell cool. of a player. Uh, this is it. I, I just I think this is a lag from the last World Cup, and, and and South Africa won the World Cup by bullying teams and steamrolling them, and physically just outmuscling teams. And mm-hmm. I think obviously every other international team went back to the drawing board and said, right, we need to address that. And now, as we are three years on from that, and one we ten months out from the next World Cup, every international team that's worth their salt can cope with massive men running in straight lines, which is what Manu does. And Until there is a place for you that. can't. It, it can be effective. It can be, it can be very effective yeah. and there's a place for it. However, I just think if you're going to be, if you're going to unlock France and South Africa and New Zealand and, and these, these top international teams, then I just think Slade is the way. And he's not small. No, he's not. He's a huge, he's a huge man. Yeah, he's not, he doesn't hit like Manu, but he, he He's a uh, no. Very few people really do. Yeah, I, I just think with Mano, he is starting to decline. I, I don't think he's generating the force that he used to that, that he used to generate. You see, every now and again, he will absolutely whack someone, but then you don't see that for, for like a prolonged period of time. It's the carrying as well. The carrying doesn't have the violence that it once did. Mm. You know, he used to make that outside break and be unstoppable. You know, you see the odd hard hit or the odd hard, you know, direct running line, but it's just not the same thing. Yeah, I do wonder how much of it is 
down to England, not perhaps not using him correctly. But then... Um, He's back at 13 now. He is. There's no excuses there. Yeah. Um, it's hard It's hard to know. It is hard to know. But England looked much better when Manny was off the field. They also, weirdly, looked better when uh, Guy Porter was playing on the wing. Guy Porter's which, a beast. Which is not something I would recommend going forward, but it worked. <laughs> it worked this week. Well, he plays for Leicester. On the wing quite frequently. No, 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 no. He's not an answer to England on the wing. Let's just, no. Well, but does he play for Leicester? Yeah. Potter, Potter plays Potter, on the wing. You're Porter. thinking of Harry Potter. No, not. How many no. games has he played on the wing? Because I can't A good handful. A I good handful. I can't recall, I can't recall any he, with him And he moves around a lot too. So he might not start on the wing, but he'll end up on the wing quite frequently. Uh, I think he's a great player. I think he's just muscular. He bangs, he goes forward. He simplifies every, everything that you want to do. Uh, I think the bright, brightest, probably the brightest spot in England's performance is Freddie Stewart, who is kind of undoubtedly the starting fifteen. Though I mean, there's got yeah, not yeah, very there's, much argument there. The, jo- Johnny May was great as well. He's been someone that's been, been uh, a lot of people have been unhappy that he's being picked over guys that are more in form and just as rapid like Hustle Collins and Radwan and Co. But Johnny May was great. He was great. Good. Uh, I thought I thought he looked really good. I thought he was. So, very solid under the high ball. His position was very good, and he carried when he needed to and, and beat defenders and looked dangerous and looked looked fast. So no complaints there at all. Now there is, of course, two players we haven't spoke about yet. Go on. and they'll be the ones that get the most scrutiny. Johnny um, Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell Axis. Did that work for you? Um, <laughs> first half, no, but they never. It wasn't on them. They never the, the team never got ball. The team never strung more than two phases together. So it's hard to blame the first half on on them. I thought second half they were very good, and yeah. the last ten minutes in particular, obviously the last ten minutes is when it all stuck and all went well. But those two did, really did look excellent. Tim, yeah, I think that that they were they were both really good. I, I think Owen Farrell actually, I thought he had a, a really excellent game. And yeah, I, I, I was perfectly happy. I've never had a problem with this particular combination. And when I was doing a, I was just looking back at some old stuff and Owen Farrell started his England career at inside centre. I, I personally really? yep. don't understand the fuss that people make about Owen Farrell at inside centre. Um, uh, just... he, tw- he was a 12 at Saracens. He was a... He played plenty in the centre at Saracens when he first came in. He played. He started his international career at 12. He's the best 10 in England, possibly the best 10 in the world, and he's also the best 12 in England. Mm. I mean, you could make that argument, certainly. It wouldn't be the argument that I was, I'd was. i be busy making. But <laughs> what, yeah. what, just, just looking at this performance, what was your view? I thought they were adequate. <laughs> you know, that's what I thought. I thought the... They sometimes did things well. Um, I think Marcus Smith is still not operating at his Harlequins levels, not by a long shot. I think they'd be better off probably with someone like George Ford at 10. Or if you really think Owen Farrell is the answer, just put Owen Farrell at 10. But this 10-12 thing, it sometimes works, but it's too infrequent for me. And I think it's too restraining for, too restraining for Marcus Smith. And was Marcus Smith acting under orders when he kicked the ball out for the draw? Um, I don't think so. So, have you seen Eddie Jones? Seen the all Eddie Jones nope. said on the matter was that it was uh, he trusts the players making the decisions on the field, and he backs them up in what they say. So, 
that this kind of wasn't wasn't an answer on exactly where the call came from and who it was. Well, Crazy. He, he did. Um, Eddie Jones did say he he doesn't he does not tell his players what to do in situations yeah, like that. Exactly. He trusts them. And Owen Farrell said we we treated it like anything else. We in when we're in that position in that part of the field, we'll try and get front football. If we've got front football, we'll have a look at to see what's on. If it's on, we'll go. If it's not on, we'll play. It, we'll we'll do the the sensible thing. I, mean, I think it's nuts. I think you've got three tries in seven minutes. You've got momentum on your side. It's a one-off test match. You want to win the game. I can't understand why you kick it out. Or at least it's really it hard to look at the counterfactual. I I don't know what the truth is about what what you would say, but I wonder if you if if. Uh... If, if let's say Owen Farrell, a, a, a skipper, had, had told his team to go for it and and it had messed up and backfired and they lost the game, I wonder whether you would have been saying, see, Owen Farrell, that's a terrible decision. See, Owen Farrell's used to, he, he can't do that. Well, that's, are you that's, happy We with don't the know draw? the counterfactual, but I wonder what, what people, and you included, JB, would have said. Are you happy with the draw? I, I At the time, I was happy. No, you weren't. I was, genuinely. You were happy with... All that momentum, all that try scoring, all those points accumulated in seven minutes, and you kick the ball out. I'm not having it. It's, it's a my, it's, it's a friendly. It's not friendly. Yeah, it's a test yeah. match, but it's a friendly. My oh. my thought on the eighty. My thought on it is that had they gone for it uh, and had a go, and w- whether that had been successful or not, that would have been a great experience of having to try and get a result with time running out with with a World Cup ten months away. They might find themselves in that position. Agreed. It, it, you, you you don't have to practice the. We're drawing. We'll take the draw, kicking it out because that's that's not something that's you have to practice. Easy. So yeah, yeah. So so I get. I guess kind of in terms of preparation and opportunities, you can practice scenarios in training as much as you want. But this was a real one and, and would have been quite useful from that perspective. Um, uh, but uh, but I'd also look at rather. I'd look at like we always talk about with don't blame it on one refereeing decision. Look at the eighty minutes. And when I look at the eighty minutes, I think we missed conversions. We we should have taken. And like you said, Phil, there's so many opportunities we left out on the field where. We should have. We should yeah. have scored. And all, in in that decision, what I will say, like for me, in the warm, comf- being warm and comfortable at home, and actually wanting to go out for a beer, mm. um, I was I was very happy with the decision to kick it out. Because um, England have got a test match next week as well that is important. Um, Friendly. If if I was well, no, the learning's important, but um, the result, take it or leave it. You know. But, but if I was in the ground, and you've had. Exactly to your point, JB, you've scored um, whatever it is, 19 points in seven or eight minutes, and all the momentum's with you. All Blacks have still got a man in the bin. You've been totally dominant for the last eight minutes. Yes. You've got the 80,000 people, or what's left of the 80,000 people in Twickenham, um, all behind you. If I was there and I paid a few hundred pounds for a ticket and everything else, I would have been fuming. Yeah, I would have been absolutely fuming. But from the comfort yeah. of my home... I was I was absolutely fine with the decision. I would say this, just the opportunity to put your team in a position where you need to get a win and you've got one chance mm. and it's pressure. That's a very very valuable opportunity that they've spurred there, and they should they should have worked with it. They couldn't, but it it would have been exactly as Tim said if they play there. Because don't forget, England have got to go eighty meters. They're they're in their own twenty two when they yep. then they kick that ball out. Um, if they and knowing how. Uh, whistle happy Mathieu Reynal was for the whole game, and yeah. how much of a lottery many of the scrums were, uh, scrums, many of the rooks and moles were. I think it would have been crackers to to do it. I would have done it, one hundred percent. I would have done it. 
I think Marcus Smith, in his most natural incarnation, would have done it too. But I think it was it was Marcus Smith's call. I, I think he was under orders. That's personally what I think. I think Owen Farrell, or Ben Young said, "Boot that ball out. Let's go home and have a beer." So both Eddie and Owen said they did. Well, the liars. <laughs> I do. That. I do like that. You know. I do know. I, I know <laughs> absolutely one hundred percent. I know that. Uh, now, just quick shout out to Twickenham itself. I thought the production values for this game before kickoff were absolutely outstanding. So I watched all of the uh, Argentina Scotland game, which was an absolute brawl. I don't know if either of you boys saw that. I've seen. Oof. I saw the first half, and then I saw um, some of the highlights, which included the Kremer red card. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely crackers. Um, so yeah, I saw bits of it. Well. What Twickenham do, I don't know if you notice this, have you noticed that they don't show you the crowd? So if you ever watch a game at Twickenham, particularly when it's dark, they've got the floodlights on, they don't light up the crowd. Just so do you like a theatre audience? Mm-hmm. You've got the light on the stage, but the actors can't see the crowd. Yeah, yeah. They do something sim- similar, with, similar with Twickenham. So Twickenham always seems all, like, very, very dark, except for the fi- field of play. So when all the fireworks and whatnot were kicking off pre-game, they had uh, the pyrotechnics, the fireworks were going off, but the crowd is completely dark. And you sort of look at that compared to the Scotland game where they light up the crowd and it just makes a hell of a difference. Mm. It's just like all the focus is on that one thing. I think it looks absolutely brilliant. Well, I, I'll tell you one thing I did like. The, they used that uh, spider cam. Mm. Um, and the best moment when they used it was the Dalton Papali try. Because from that angle... As soon as as soon as the ball's uh, touched off the top, you can see he's he's out of the blocks. Yeah, and you can see from that angle he's going to get this. He's going to get no JVP. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh it's, no. Oh no. He's done it. Oh, it was such a good angle to pick up that moment live. And great anticipation. It was great anticipation from uh, Papley. So Tim, do we have any emails, mate? Yeah, we've got a bunch actually. Got loads I'll run of emails in relation to the. Yeah, yeah. So this one it comes from uh, just signed off as disappointed of Cheshire. Oh dear. Saying, um, dear Eddie, I've just spent three hundred pounds on a pair of tickets, two hundred quid rail fare, five hundred ninety nine pounds on on hotels. Wow. Lots of money on uh, on expensive beer at Twickers for what I've been led to believe was going to be a competitive game. Uh, but would you, so would you be so kind as to let me know in advance in future when you decide your team is playing a friendly so I can spend my hard-earned cash on a holiday for my family or put a few more quid on the electric and gas account. Where is this, <laughs> where is this idea of a friendly come from? You've said it, Phil. Was it actually said somewhere? Well, Someone it, said this. It, it is a friendly, isn't it? Is it test match a friendly? Well, it's it's not... If you get a, a cap for it, it's not a friendly. A friendly is anything that's not um, in a um, multiple-game competition. That's how yeah, I, I don't like it. describing don't know anything as friendly. Now, I don't like... To, I don't, just, just because there's no... Um, pool points or league points or anything. I don't like the concept of friendly. Well, that, 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 yeah. That, yeah. So f- friendly is an interesting term because I, I would use it purely as in exactly as the definition that I've just given you. There is no consequence, good or bad, from winning or losing this game because the points do not accumulate. There is nothing else that this goes to. That is what a friendly means in my head. Mm. But that also means it doesn't actually matter if you uh, win, lose or draw because... The, Exactly, I've just said there's no consequence. Yeah. Now that's not yeah. to that's not to say that you should just go into it without any aspect, of, any hope of winning. You should not care about the performance, but it, it 
just to my view, it didn't matter. And also the risk of um, uh, the likelihood and risk, probability and impact of a penalty was such that if, to me, from where I was sat, it felt like the right decision. But I completely understand uh, disappointed of Cheshire and what they, what they uh, are saying. I'll, I'll, I'll rattle through some emails. Matt Robinson said, uh, England's Marcus Smith is the subject title. And he just says, it's like hiring a Michelin star chef to cook Weatherspoon's microwave meals. Yeah, true. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, right, I do, we've got... Um, I do think that... I think it's, it is an interesting one. Jay asked about it before, but I think England, as I said before, Smith and Farrell... They didn't get any chance in the first half because of New Zealand's dominance and England's poor performance and failure to put any phases together. I did think they looked overall better in the second half. I thought the, yeah. the combinations worked a bit better. And in that last that last eight, ten minutes, that's, that's where you want them. I thought they were great. Gareth Binmore says... New Zealand were dominant, but you have to hand it to England in the second half. They put pressure on the All Blacks and in the last 10 seemed to play more like Quinns. Very much unstructured play, playing what in front of you kind of approach. Uh, couple that with heart and sheer determination to keep battling, and we managed to get a draw, which to me isn't, uh, to me, to me, fair, to be fair, isn't bad against an All Blacks team who've looked much better over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've had, uh, I, I saw one that was saying, I'm just trying to find it again that said it's it was quite in, interesting to see the difference in the body language of the two teams. England, oh, here we go, it's from Joel, um, contacttechasers at gmail.com. It's very telling both teams leave with a draw and England players look like they've won. New Zealand boys very much look like drawing is losing. Maybe those two mindsets have something to do with the traditional success of the nations. I think it's more the trajectory at the end. It's, it's not, if, if you'd have given both teams the option of a draw at the start, neither one would have taken it. If you'd given both teams um, the option of draw at 40 minutes, New Zealand definitely would not have taken it. Uh, England probably would have at that stage. And England being on the up in the last 10 minutes and New Zealand very much on the down, that's all that that reflected. Yeah. Got an email here from Bob Deepledge, Deepledge, Depledge, or however it is. Mm -hmm. I love the pod, blah, blah, blah. I've just watched Tim's Egg Chasers YouTube piece on Owen Farrell. I did a video which I, I thought... Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll release that just before England's game uh, on YouTube because that will make it timely. Actually, not thinking that just means nobody's going to look at it because they're all watching the England game. True. So true. he says he says it's an edu- it's an educational ten minutes for us all. Like many of us, we've had or think we've had cause to vilify Farrell for his style of play, discipline, etc. Over the years, but what you've done in this ten minute video is given us perspective and an evidence based opinion on one of the greatest players ever to wear an England shirt. I can only ask you please plug the video on your pod so that Owen's detractors can wake up and smell the coffee. Mm. So there you go. I'm, I'm plugging it now. Good. Go Egg Chasers on, uh, on YouTube and have a look. Excellent. Uh, so anyone see the debacle in Cardiff? Uh, I didn't really watch much of it live, but I have caught up with the, the amazing beards and amazing scrummaging. It's quite something, wasn't it? it it's, it's even more... Um, interesting, unusual, spectacular, considering how Wales started. I yeah, mean, they after, were very strong. After 25 minutes, two back-to-back Jack Morgan tries in five minutes, um, they looked great. They looked like they've just coast this. And then I'm not entirely sure what happened for the remaining uh, 55 or so minutes. Yeah, they were very... Well, I tell you, but before we... Well, before we dig into the detail, can we just start at the end and those scenes of Georgia winning? 
yes. were just very, very special. Incredible, aren't they? Yeah. Well, the, the scenes of the Georgian scrums. That scrum for the, oh. the, the penalty, the winning penalty with uh, two or three minutes to go, three or four minutes to go. So you may or may not be aware that I'm a huge fan of the work of Ben Darwin. You may, you may be aware of that? Yeah. You may, you may not be. And the question was posed to Ben. Who is the best player in the world? His response was? Uh, Nene Ashvili. Whoever wears the tight head prop shirt for Georgia. for Georgia. And I don't think he's wrong, you know. Well, that whoever's wearing the uh, number 18 shirt at that, at that moment in time. Whoever is playing tight head for Georgia at any single time ever <laughs> is possibly the best player on the planet. God, they've and, got some uh, One thing I love about... Georgia winning this game and being really good is, and this, some people will criticise me for saying this, oh, it's the sort of thing you're not allowed to say now in 2022. Uh-oh. But um, I love that this is a Tier 2 team with a side full of players born and raised in Georgia. This is not stacked with South Africans playing it's for their not, is it? Say again? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I can't see why anyone wouldn't love it, to be honest. Yeah. There's probably a few French-born Georgians, but there'll be Georgians uh, whose fathers played in France because that's where the money was in the 80s or 90s. And 2000s. And 2000s, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you not not many of that Georgian pack look like they were born... Uh, they look be- so old, don't they? <laughs> before about 1975. They look all... I mean, they're all like 28 or something, but they look... like So grizzled and chiselled. Garam Gogiashvili is 24 years old, 118 kilograms. Do no, not, he's not. Do not believe that. No, he's not. I, I think what should really, really worry Wales is they got beaten by not not the best Georgian team we've we've seen in... Like, then, then I don't... They're not as good as the Gorgodza era Georgia. They're, they're deep. They're obviously very good, but there's been better Georgia teams and... To, to lose at home and put in a performance like that is massively concerning. The, obviously, this has led to people saying Pivak out and stuff. Pivak out. You know, JB, that what's that? What's that phrase? Um, you can win everything with fish kids. Rots, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, fish rots. Yeah, uh, fish rots from the head down, and this is this is a lot of chickens coming home to roost. Yeah. In terms of the administration of Wales at the high level, so I don't think a new coach is going to make any real difference no when when Gat, when Gatlin came in in what was it 07 after the 07 World Cup when they lost to Fiji and stuff when Gatlin came in he had a massive player pool and the regions were doing well and you had a good coach could actually turn that round this is very different yeah I, I mean I think one of the things you have to look at for Wales is how many of the old guard they are just extending the careers of they are Trying to squeeze every minute of rugby out of out of these lads, whether it be Cuthbert North, we spoke about Tipperick, Falatau, and Lydia last week, uh, and then this Ken, week Ken Owens, Priestland, yeah, and then this week they've gone the other way around. So you know what Georgia are bringing. Uh, you'd have to be absolutely nuts to not think Georgia are going to come try and scrimmage us off the park, be physical, beat us up. You know that's coming, but with that they've picked a second row who's twenty four. They picked his replacement on on the bench. That's nineteen. They've mobilised Bradley Roberts from Ulster, who's like what the third choice there, you know. Yeah. So they've, I mean, they've taken, they've taken Georgia seriously to a degree, 
But this certainly isn't a first-choice Wales, and they just got exactly what they deserve. Jo- uh, Josh McLeod, a lad who's never been capped, was brought back in after what, a four-year hiatus from the Welsh training squad for his first start. It's just not going to cut it, is it? And, you know, exactly what happened. Well, they just deserve what they got. And Georgia deserve what they got. Yeah. So everyone can uh, can leave this game happy. Contented. <laughs> Content, yeah. So some of the reactions to this Welsh loss are, frankly, startling. So I think the most common reaction is that the, well, as Roy Keane would call them, the prawn sandwich brigade, but as other people like to call them, the people with the padded seats and name tags of ruining Welsh rugby. And there was some debate a few weeks ago about, you know, Welsh rugby should be run by professionals. I'm not sure that, that is actually a good idea. Um, like, I don't think... Uh, you look around the world and you look at the sports administrators that find themselves in positions of power in rugby. Do you have full confidence in them? And one of the biggest criticisms of the administrative um, state of rugby is that these people are not rugby people. They don't understand understand the sport. They've never played. They've never been part of a club. Wales seems to have the opposite problem, which is we've got four guys who are rugby through and through. One's an ex-teacher. One's an ex-coal mining manager. One is something else. Four of them. I don't know what the right solution is. I I can't imagine getting some person from, I don't know, some sort of... you can just imagine you can imagine the sort of CVs that you receive and their past experience of the people that they want to run Wales. And I just don't think it's necessarily going to work. I don't think I've heard of a decent sports administrator for a long, long time. Well, whatever happens in Wales, they've got 10 months now. Yeah. Um, but it, they, can, they can maybe, maybe get... Uh, Enough to gather out of the old gang and a, f- a few of the younger guys, who a few of the best younger guys, to to be competitive in a few of the games. Well, but they're certainly... not going to be. I, last last time they were semi, they were narrowly beaten in the semi final by the world champions. Yeah, doesn't well, feel like that's going to happen again. No, well, that loss in itself is quite unusual for me. I mean, I don't think they were good enough to get as far as they did, and they did. So, you know, you don't know how how it's going to pan out. One thing you can be sure of is that. They can't turn around the regional ship anytime oh, no. soon. No, no, no. That, that is heading in one direction. Yes, I think Scarlet's lost to Connacht this weekend. That's mm. an amazing start that of the last, say, 30-odd games, the Welsh have only won four of them. Um, I can't remember the exact stat, but it really puts into contrast the efforts of the Irish provinces compared to the Wales provinces. And they're trying everything in their power. They're trying, th- trying to threaten players with the 60-cap rule or the market rate deals... All of this stuff it just seems to be failing at every single hurdle. It seems to be failing. I don't know what what I don't know what the answer is. I mean, they're not spreading the game of rugby. They're not growing it. They feel like they've got all of the worst, um, all of the worst features of the English game, particularly around lockdown. I mean, Welsh rugby during lockdown was an absolute disgrace. It was an absolute disgrace. Um, they you know bent the knee to the Welsh government when the Welsh government told them to watch their games over the Christmas period indoors. So you had these scenes where you could have players on the field, but all the fans had to watch from the clubhouse because they weren't allowed to stand by the playing field. Uh, you've got all of these things, and I don't think Wales has recovered or will recover from the effects of lockdown and the fact that you know the WRU weren't there to protect the sport when they absolutely needed to. 
and now they're going to pay and now they're going to pay the price for it and no no one will hold their feet to the fire no because there is no one to hold their feet to the fire no so uh, it'd be it'd be a tough time any... to be a Wales fan I'm sorry for you JB feel sorry for you being a Wales fan I'm in the run up ab- to a World Cup I'm absolutely fine with it <laughs> got an email here from Martin Lewis contact Chasers at gmail.com hi guys love the pod blah 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 I just wanted to say when people listen to the inevitable sh- uh shift the blame to the Welsh pro clubs. Can I point out that due to the mismanagement by the WRU, they still don't know their budgets for this current season, let alone next season. <laughs> to then criticise the lack of talent being produced is madness. Could any pro team run an academy and pro team in the premiership in this fashion? Now imagine trying to do so in a league with no salary cap. The current Welsh rugby the current, I, th- I think he's saying, the current issues in Welsh rugby stems of, uh, of the lack of governance suitable for a professional era and self-serving committee men and old club tie and blazers who fear losing the cartel-like grip on power and the gravy train perks mm. it brings. They're getting exactly what they deserve. So Sorry for the rant. I heard a rumour the other day, and it goes something like this, that when the Wales guys are away in camp, the regions are still trying to train, but they can't put out a full team for team runs. So they're doing things like putting the S&C coach on the wing and you know, going to the academy and getting a few of their boys to fill in at centre or prop or, or whatever it, whatever it may, may, may be. I don't know if that is entirely true or if that is a common <clears> practice, but it certainly sounds pretty dire. What I don't get is I just don't believe that the administrators in Wales are actually this bad or this incompetent or actually want what is occurring. If that's just a fact, because saying how uh, um, competent they are or not is a subjective thing. But if, you're, if, if we're just putting some flesh on the bones and saying the regions do not have a budget for this season. If that, yeah. that is ridiculous, if that is the case. I don't know if that's true or not. I have no idea how the no. finances of Welsh rugby work. No. Well, Pretty if murky. that is true, then I think that they're... If that is true, or even saying they don't know what their budget is for next season... But if if they don't they don't know what constraints they're operating within right now, th- that would be a factual, objective measure of utter incompetence. Yes, I think you've yeah, made a strong point there. You can definitely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they got 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 what they deserve, and I quite enjoyed watching it. <laughs> that, that's interesting. So, so uh, one thing I did notice there were quite a lot of England fans. I got the sense, particularly when England were twenty-five six down, and I, I wonder if it was the same with Wales after the final whistle. Uh, quite a few England fans, I think, were almost disappointed that England had a comeback because they thought if we got hammered, then Eddie might get binned. Yeah, I was thinking this. Yeah, I did. I do think you'd. It would be possible. I think it would have to be a hell of a hammering. <laughs> I think it would have to completely fall apart. But it's, it's, it's not impossible to see it. I think your loss to Argentina would be the one where they pulled the trigger. Um, I mean, if you compound that loss, who did they beat yes, uh, last week? Japan. Japan. Yeah, it doesn't really count. Yeah, a good hiding in this one would put some pressure on Eddie. He's not going anywhere. He's, uh, not, he's not no, going anywhere. Bill, Bill Sweeney. And North got... back. Do, do you know what? Go on. Do you know what I was going to say just on just while we're finishing off on Wales? What I don't understand, Wayne Pivak. Do you remember how his team played at Scarlets? This real attacking brand yeah, of rugby, and that's, that's what everyone was excited about when they came in because that seemed to suit the the personnel that Wales had, and all these back three and all these quick back rowers, like playing a, a slightly looser, more expansive game was going to suit them. And he came in and started like that, 
to see them playing Georgia and kicking as much as they did and playing into Georgia's hands just smacks of absolute desperation and no plan, or at mm. least the wrong plan. Yeah. Yeah, a total lack... Well, yeah, either a total lack of a plan or it is definitely the wrong plan. They've identified a plan, kick loads to Georgia and try and match them physically is not the right plan if that was the plan. Mm. Oh, well, never mind. Speaking of things going badly... Yes? Australia have lost again. Who do they lose to this week? Ireland! So they've, they've lost three games uh, in three weeks. They've lost by, I think it's a total of six points or five points. Yeah. They've lost all of them narrowly. They lost by one point to Italy. Was it one point to France? And then three points to Ireland with a an amazing last-minute kick from Ross Byrne from... Was it Ross Byrne? I thought it was the other guy from Connacht. Crowley. Crowley's from Munster. Yeah, him. Um, not Jack Carty. He's the, he from, started the season Connacht. as the third-choice Munster fly half. And... Did you see the shirt he was wearing? Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing... Sexton's actual shirt. Yeah, the embroidered Se- Johnny Sexton 110 caps. Why was that? Because um, Sexton pulled out in the warm-up. Oh, we see. So there's question marks over the fitness Johnny Sexton's fitness in the week. He then looked like he was going to make it, or he was going to make it, and then um, got injured in the warm-up, so Jack Crowley had That's to That's a proper up. collector's item, that, isn't it? That is, I, I was thinking, I wonder if... Sexton will want that shirt, or if he'll let Jack Crowley have it. So why does Jack Crowley start and not Ross Byrne? Ross Byrne. Well, oh, he's the next man up? Yeah, Ross Byrne, Ross Byrne actually only got called into the... Ross Byrne came onto the, the bench, he was out, yeah. Yeah, he only got called into the wider so squad. where was Ross Byrne in all this? Was he at hospitality having a beer? <laughs> no, not quite. So he, but he was only called into the wider squad. Um, I think earlier earlier this week when Sexton looked like he wasn't going to make it um, and then he was presumably a travelling reserve because of um, Sexton's knock but didn't think he was actually playing and then with three minutes to go slotted an amazing penalty to, to win the game. Oh, good lad. I do think it's interesting and quite and when, when you dovetail it back to the discussion about the end of the game with England, it's interesting that the, the way you framed it and you're absolutely right, Phil, you said Australia lost again and they had a crack because it, it wasn't the last-minute kick, was it, from Ross Byrne? There was a few minutes left, and, New- and Australia won themselves a penalty in a kickable position and went for the corner. Mm. And and here we are saying, oh, another defeat for Australia. Uh, yeah. they, they went for it and, it, and it, and it didn't work. And, and maybe when you piece that together, maybe you kind of understand, even if you don't agree with it, even if you were in the stadium, you sort of understand why England did what they did because all of those good things we're talking about in the last eight minutes of attack would have been not the headline, and the headline would have been they lost They lost again. Yeah, lost two out of three so far. So, yeah, that is a good point. And I, I kind of I say it a little bit in jest about Australia. I mean, uh, I'm not joking. They have lost three out of three games. <laughs> that is factually correct, yeah. That, that is definitely factually correct. <laughs> but I, I do think this Australia team is actually getting a lot out of this year, even if the results aren't all great. Like, the, the combinations of players and, and the... The breadth and depth of the players that they are trying, um, I completely get, agree with getting that. Getting experience in this is quite remarkable, actually. Yeah, yeah, totally. Who wants to have a go at pronouncing that new fella's uh, name? Nope. Um, wait, I did look this up because his um, Wikipedia page has uh, a phonetic pronunciation of it. Give me one second. Pronounced. Here we go. Pronounced. Na wanga nita waze. 
Nawanganita Waze. Nawanganita Waze. Mark Nawanganita Waze. Well done. There you go. Yeah. Um, Six for 400 he, look, he looks all right, doesn't he? He pops up all over Is the Is he shop. an ex-NRL guy, by any chance? He's not, interestingly. He's um, her- heritage, uh, sorry, Fijian heritage, um, Fijian family. But um, he's, as far as I'm aware, he's not played any NRL. Ah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, actually, Phil. I think... Um, the amount of experience that these guys are getting. By the time they get to the World Cup, I think they're going to be a very exciting team, Australia. Very dangerous. They can score against anyone. They can. They've got some of the world's best players in there. Like, Will Skelton is an absolute outstanding player. They can play in different ways as well. When Michael Hooper went down, they changed their game completely to this sort of scavenging back row style to a carrying back row style. I think that's how I like them more. I like them when they're more aggressive and more on the front front foot. Uh, Nick White does good things. Um, I like Ikatao. I like. I love Tom Wright. I I think Tom Wright is an absolute superstar. You know, you the tie is great. Yeah, you're right. They've got they've got loads of they've got loads of really good players. And you're right to point out how aggressive they were, because they've got that flair and and that they they can play ball when they want to. But Andy Farrell in his post match chat was very at pains to point out like they made life very tough. Yeah. Um, Ireland on the other hand, how many win? How many wins is that? Three from three. Not bad. And 11 at home in a row, is it? Equaling an all-time record, Irish record. They are are going to have one hell of a tussle in the autumn, in the spring. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. France, they are they, those are the two best teams. Yeah, and, and they were Six Nations just gone. They were the two best teams by a distance as well. They yeah. were considered the, the only real game that each of them had was against each other, and France came out on top. I do think France will bang them, absolutely bang them. Uh, it's weird. I see the world of rugby at the moment being cons- consisted of effectively two or three very good teams. One good team and everyone else is sort of in the mix, average. So the, the best two teams um, are France and Ireland, I think. I, I think put Ireland in a separate group underneath them with South Africa. See, I'd, I'd put New Zealand ahead of South Africa. I don't know about that. So New Zealand won, so the, that, that, won the rugby championship, beat yeah. South Africa in South Africa, although they also lost to South Africa in South yeah. Africa. Yeah. Um, I, I just think New Zealand are a little bit better than South Africa, but not by much. Yeah, I think Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa are all much, much of a muchness. 
France at the top of the tree, and then there's this huge group of other countries, and it's just hard to separate them. I think Scotland can play good rugby, England can play good rugby, Wales can win or lose on any given day. Wales can, yeah, Wales can mix it and beat most teams. Like Wales can and have this season beat Australia beat in South Africa, group. Japan Austra- are probably in that group. Japan and close, to, yeah, they're not far off that group. So. They could be like, but this is why the way that the pools have fallen in the World Cup is so crucial. And yes, you're going to have to beat the best teams to become a world champion. But if it all goes to form and the teams you expect to get out of the pools get out of the pools, it is going to be Ireland playing uh, South Africa or France, and uh, and Ireland and New Zealand playing South Africa or France. Or if I got that right, no, no, no. Ireland or South Africa playing New Zealand or France. Yeah, it's going to be good in the quarterfinals. Just way it goes, it's going, oh, it's going to be good. But two of the four best teams are gone at the semi-final stage. Hmm. So that, does that all? Is this one of those where you're? Oh, I guess it's yeah. New Zealand, France, and Ireland and South Africa. That is interesting. A and B, so a and England, B. England. If they, assuming we get out of the pool, touch wood, I'm taking nothing for granted. Uh, but if we get out of the pool, we will face Wales or Australia or Fiji. You would imagine. Or Fiji. So, yeah. So I'm just looking at it here. So England's England's pool in Pool D. So if you win Pool D, um, you then you'll play runner-up in Pool C, which will be uh, either Wales, Australia, or Fiji, or possibly Georgia. Um, but it's one of those. So you play the second best team of Wales, Australia, Fiji. Then if you win that, it's the winner of Pool A versus the runner-up of Pool B. So you could, this is where it gets, because of the cross-contamination, you could end up playing New Zealand or South Africa or Ireland or France. Whoever It, it could be any yeah, one you'll of play, those. You'll play one of those in a semi-final, but the point is you, you get to the semi-final and at that yes, point, it's like... It's, you've, you've got a good you, chance. You can raise yourself for a game. You've got, you've got a decent chance. Yeah. But Ireland and New Zealand and South Africa and France are going to face each other in the quarterfinals, which is... That's yes, that, that is the problem, isn't it, for them? So you're, you're, For them, it's their problem. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah glad, exactly. Glad it's not our problem. Exactly. Well... Let's let's get over our, our group first because yeah, quite right. <laughs> um, quite right. We, yeah, we lose to Argentina again. It, it looks a bit dicey. Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, the unstoppable South Africa, who we were stopped last week, actually um, restart another unbeaten run. Uh, yeah, after after losing two games in a row. Yep. Uh, it might have even been more than that because they lost to uh, lost. Oh no, because they won the, the last game was against the uh, last two games were against Argentina. Well, they won this weekend, twenty one sixty three. Did you see this game? I saw bits of it. So I watched all of this. Um, oh, yeah. The first... Wow, that's commitment, Phil. Well played. Well, the first half was excellent, and it was an excellent performance by Italy in the first half. It was... I can't remember what the exact score was, but it was something like 14-18 at half time, And Italy were right in it. They put pressure on South 13-16 is what it was at halftime. 13-16. Capuoso, uh, the little rugby pixie, Nipped over for another nice try. He is fast, isn't he? He is. A little live wire. A little, little um, coming around the back. A little line, a little bit like the Manu line that um, he made a good break off Marcus Smith. Um, but, but almost more surprising hands from the, the man inside him. Um, so it, I thought it was really good first half. But then South Africa changed it up a bit. 
they brought this... Well, can I just read you the South Africa bench? <laughs> this is the most startling thing to me. South Africa bench consisted of Malcolm Mark, Stephen Kitsoff, Vincent Cock, Evan Etzebeth, Quagga Smith, Evan Ruse. Best of luck, boys. Well, and obviously those boys, when they came on, made a difference. I'll tell you the, the guy that made most difference. Kobus Reinach? Nope. Manny Libok. Libok. Yeah, fly half. Don't know him. Who is he? So he plays for the Stormers, used to play for the Sharks and the Bulls. He's a bit of a live wire fly half. I, I don't know much about him, but he looked good. And you put they put, because um, Colby got injured, so they put uh, Vilemsa on the wing. Ah, I love it. And Libok and um, Vili LaRue were kind of pulling the strings. Ah. And, it, and it worked. Now, how much of it was Libok coming in and playing with a bit of freedom? How much of it was the fact that that, uh, the bomb squad. I know you hate the term the bomb squad, but Awful. it's what everyone calls them. That bench, that forward bench, which is must be one of the the best ever forward benches. <laughs> not bad. Coming off against an already exhausted Italy team, just completely uh, marmalised them. Yeah. Where, where does the bomb squad like? I'm trying to understand the meaning of that. If it was, we've got, a, we've got, a, we've got. A, if on the bench you had like a couple of rapid wingers and a fly half that kicked the ball miles in the air, yeah, would kick. That 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 bomb squad that would make sense. Freddie Stewart, Israel Folau, and somebody <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah, that, that's that's a bomb squad. <laughs> uh, I, I don't understand the bomb. I don't understand. I don't even understand the term where it came from and, and why. So they come on defuse situation. I, I just think it's a terrible term. It it is a terrible term, but we're stuck with it now. Yeah, it's better than better than system players or whatever. Is that is that Pat Lamb's one at Bristol? Yeah, it's not as good as concussion boys though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Have you yeah. noticed that Gareth Southgate started using the uh, the phrase "finishers" for his bench? Has he? Have you noticed that they've yeah. been banned from wearing another their... reason not to watch the football World Cup? They've been banned from wearing their rainbows in in Qatar. Banned from having a beer in the ground. That's ridiculous, isn't it? I do kind of like the Qatari way of saying, "Yeah, we changed our mind now, boys. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Oh, yeah. you're going to do nothing? Okay, brilliant. Crack well, on. Bud- Budweiser might do something, but." Good nope. What are they going to do? Take them to Qatari court? <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I'm not remotely interested in, in this football World Cup. I was, I'd be vaguely interested if it was somewhere else, but I, just the whole thing is just ridiculous. What don't so you like about it, Tim? Um, well, I think you're, you're nothing without principles. If the Rugby World Cup was in uh, Dubai, I, I, I have an so, so to draw this back to rugby, I have a massive issue with rugby talking about like no, it's not that rugby. Um, I have no issue with stuff happening in Dubai, I have a massive issue with uh, LGBT and everything being um, a, a, such a prominent thing, which I have no problem with in rugby. I've got no problem with that on its own. You can, I, I don't care if you do your rainbow laces. I'm, I'm happy with the yeah. all of that. But then if you have a big lucrative sevens tournament in a country where it's illegal to be gay and people get killed and thrown off buildings, then I kind of think it's slightly hypocritical and maybe you're just... It's the hypocrisy of the individuals involved, yeah. isn't it, which is upsetting. Yes. So, you know, like... Gary Sorry. Neville working for the Qataris. But actually, I quite like the Gary Neville stance on the, on the World Cup, which is it is a World Cup, and you know, it has to go to countries across the world. Uh, Gary Lineker was saying the reason he hates it so much is because it was bought, and I think that's a far better argument than they don't believe in X, Y, Z, or their laws are barbaric or, or, or Yeah, I would, I would like a little bit more honesty, rather than the, the like, what was it, that Alex Scott woman, I read that she'd said, say on the telly, Oh, not going 
I don't agree with it, but not going would be the easy choice. It's far more the powerful easy to choice. come here. And it's like, no, no, the easy choice is to take all that cash. But just, Yeah, of just course it that, is. Own that and be honest about it. Just say, like you say, Gary Neville goes, or whatever, it, it's a World Cup. I want to work on the World Cup. I don't like where it is, but... I want to work on the World Cup. Not yeah. If, if you problem is you get hoisted by your own petard when you make such, when you make such a, a virtue of how you're against X Y Z and you're standing for it, which again I have no problem with. That's fine. I, I'm there with you. But then then you look like a hypocrite. I mean, I do like the idea of like first time of it being in a Muslim country, first time of it being uh, in the Middle East. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think it's quite cool when sporting events show up in places that you do not expect. So I, I would suspect that something like the Rumble in the Jungle, Muhammad Ali, would have been one of the most epic spectacles of mm. all time. Of all time. Because it was never meant to be there. Uh, so that's how I feel feel about this. Yeah, I, I get that. But Phil Phil works in construction. I guess I guess with the the differences, like with the Everton Stadium, Phil, which your company is working on, mm. um, there aren't any... Uh, migrant slave labour dying from being overworked and then just being chucked in with the concrete in the foundations. Definitely, definitely not. <laughs> Quite. Would it, would it pass the health, and, the health and safety audit? <laughs> no, it, and that that side of things is is pretty shocking. And it, just the fact that, so I, I always remember back to a conversation that we had in, uh, in, in Izakaya in Tokyo. Yeah. Um, with certain individuals within world rugby and they were saying that um one of the one of the problems with a tournament like uh, the rugby world cup is you have an influx of um people of uh paying customers visitors guests fans to the tune of somewhere between 400 and 500,000 yes. people coming into the country so certain countries that are not particularly Ireland can't well deal with that yeah, Ireland don't have the hotels to deal with that. Or the infrastructure, or the or stadium, the, yeah. or the roads, or anything. Yeah, um, whereas a country like Japan, that's 130,000 people. Like, we, we were in... 130,000? Sorry, 130 million people. Um, so it's a, it's a fraction of a percent of the population. Tokyo, so greater, not, The greater yeah. Tokyo area, what, what was it you told me, is the same size as Northern Ireland? Oh, it's, it's enormous. It's absolutely it's enormous. enormous, and in population, it's beautiful as well. It's population, an incredible place. Oh no, in population, it's much more. But just in terms of the whole hinterland of the whole, yeah, like, yeah. greater Tokyo area is the same landmass as all of Northern Ireland. It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't spread. It's, it's like two hours to get across it by their fantastic um, transport network. It's such a marvel of the modern world. But it's, 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 it's probably. I, I would guess it's something in the region of fifty to a hundred times the population of Northern Ireland. Yeah. It's, the, it's that magnitude. It's it's absolutely enormous. Um, and so, anyway, my my point being, Rugby World Cup is expecting let's let's just call it half a million to make it round numbers. Um, six months ago, Qatar only had thirty thousand hotel rooms. Even now, even with all the they're parking up cruise ships, they've um, you seen the, the, the fan the, caps, the fan the, camps, the fan caps, the um, the egg chasers, yeah, the egg chasers <laughs> shipping egg chasers shipping is much more luxurious than the fan camps. We're getting three hundred quid, quid a night for uh, people staying in our <laughs> shipping container. Amazing. Um, <laughs> then, even with all of that, I think it's only a hundred thousand uh, people, and so people are going to have to be travelling in. By Dave via well, and the, you're limited as to where you can travel in from because of all the politics in the region. Yeah, so it's let's go to Jerusalem. 
Yeah, <laughs> boost them, get a taxi. So it's not. It's, there's all of that side which just make it look like a ludicrous decision, which it was because it was clearly just a corrupt. It's it's just all about the money. So if you were holding it in, I guess Dubai, Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, or in somewhere like Saudi. You can still you'd still disagree with the politics, but they are at least yeah. big enough countries to actually have the infrastructure yeah. to support it. It just seems so crackers. Have you heard Giovanni Infantino? Infantino. Infantino. Yeah. Oh my word! That Jesus. statement he made is. I, I mean, I, I read what he'd said. And I thought I tried to sing is, it last is this, night. Is this a parody <laughs> Twitter account I'm yeah. looking at here? What? I tried to sing it to the, to the tune of R, uh, to R, um, R. Kelly, uh, I am a, whatever it is. <laughs> oh, my Unbelievable. God. Yeah, I, I, but, can't, but, what, I can't stand the grandstanding. I, I, do you know what? Uh, I'll recommend you to a podcast. There was a Rest is History podcast with Gary Lineker on it. And he goes through how they went for the bids and how he showed up to the bidding process and how it was bought and paid for. And also Gary Lineker has got his own political views, which are somewhat extreme. And um, it's just really interesting like how the politics of the World Cup pan out, pan out. His point of view on it and his trip to the Kremlin when he got to meet Vladimir Putin, but turned him down. Mm. Do I think actually he's got to be a feather in your cap? I mean, I would not turn him down. I'd go meet him. Would you? 100% I'd meet him. I, I mean, I'm not travelling that. I'm not travelling east ever. And Dubai doesn't count. The, yeah, yeah well, I was going to say, it has been clever. pointed out, the hip, your own hypocrisy, east, JB, no. is making a big virtue of how you won't travel east, but then you'll go into Dubai. Eastern Europe is very different to Dubai, <laughs> believe you me. I might go to Turkey one day. I think Turkey would be cool. Mm. Would be any, any particular reason Russia why you'd go and, to um, Turkey? I just think it'd be, I think Istanbul would be fascinating. I'd love to visit. It's Istanbul, the, it, like the cornerstone of like the old world, yeah. new world, like... I'd love to visit the old Silk Road, the docks and the port of Istanbul. Sounds weird, but when you fly over it, it is so enormous. Mm. It's so enormous. Yeah, you're right, Phil. That the the history there in 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 that area is just unreal. Like you say, the Silk Road and um, yeah, the 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 conquests that there were, the Mongols coming from the east, and yeah, it's an amazing, amazing place. And the Ottoman Empire as well, more recently, like yeah, and the the um, what's his um, thingy the Great. Uh, what's his name? Who came from the the the, Mas- the Macedonians? Peter the Great. Uh, no, Alexander the, the Great. Name? Oh. Alexander the Great. Thank you. Mm. So that whole that whole area. Uh, yeah, so much cool stuff. Uh, well, well, no, it's, it's not cool. It's just cool to learn about it. it. Must have been absolutely horrendous being in that part of the world at that time. Yes. Yeah. Complete, com- completely agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, where were we? Oh yeah, we're talking about it. It's a oh yeah. Africa. What I was going to suggest is, as we take, took that little detour, why don't we just take a little stop off at Portugal? Yes, making it to well the world, remembered. Poor AJ McGinty, but congratulations to Portugal. Yeah, so I've not seen any of this, but as I understand it, it was a, a last-minute penalty that put Portugal level, and they drew this game. And there's a few people I've seen saying. Did it not go to like Golden Point or um, Extra Time or anything like that? But of course it didn't because even though this was effectively a knockout, this was a um, a table. There's uh, yep. round robin, so there's um, three games, four teams, and so Portugal win on points difference. Yeah, delighted, oh. delighted for them. It's did they win comfortably on points difference or was it close? It was eighteen all. 
Oh, sorry, I see what you're saying, yes. Yeah, they, they put in, in the 85 points on whoever they played last week. Was it Kenya last week? Um, they put 85 points on. Um, I mean, draws are so rare in rugby. And, and yeah, we've, we've talked about whether England should have gone for the win or maybe might have lost it. And as you, as you said rightly, Phil, there was nothing ultimately riding on it. But this, oh, a draw, two draws in a weekend or in a few days, and one of them being the most significant that there's been. Yeah, the, the points difference. So United States were plus 133 and for 133 and against 37. And Portugal so were... Plus 96. 96, yeah. And Portugal were plus 143. So 10 points more and against 30. So seven points fewer. So... They had a 17, 17 um, point, point cushion. Uh, cushion when they got the draw. But had the United States not conceded that 82nd minute penalty, then they would have won. Well, changing the guard. So poor, not... poor AJ. Yeah. Yeah. But very poor. good very good for Portugal. And we finally will have a team in there who are not Spain. Yes. An Iberian Peninsula team, not Spain. Yeah. It's great news, I think. I think it's uh, exactly what World Rugby needs. Yes, yeah, agreed. Cause so, what what pool are Portugal in? Cause they go into Wales. Is Wales, Australia, Fiji, Georgia? I think is the pool. Cool. Last game of the weekend: France versus Japan. Who saw it? Yeah, saw most of it. This awesome afternoon. game. Yeah. Um, France ne- never really felt like they got out of kind of second or third gear. The, um, they played That's not the last game of the weekend, by the way. We haven't talked about Scotland. Oh, yes. Yeah, the fight fast. <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, well, well, I think the main takeaway from Scotland-Argentina, before we move on to Sunday, is that... Um, so, I, d- I didn't see what the TV post-match interview was, but I, I heard what Gregor Townsend said to the talk sport reporter in his post-match chat. And it, it appeared to me like Gregor Townsend was just stopping short of praising Finn Russell. Uh, he was like, he had a great game, didn't he? Is that the best you've seen him play in the Scottish show? Yeah, yeah, he had, a, he had a good game. Of course, there was a lot of space left. Uh, Argentina left a lot of holes. They had players going off. It was kind of like that. Like, uh, yeah, Finn Russell played well, but but Argentina helped him play well. Through gritted um, teeth. <laughs> if there's, It if... was through gritted teeth. And he's, and he's in danger of looking very, very silly now, isn't he? Well, anyone who drops Finn Russell is very silly. I just don't see a good argument for it. He's a generational talent. The only reason you would get rid of him is because it has to be an ego play. It just has to be an ego play. You can't legislate for what Finn Russell does. You can't coach it to anyone else. No one can replace him. So you've just got to sort of suck it up and play him. Um, the I did see an argument this week. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but in, in our um, Egg Chasers North North at Sevens WhatsApp group, mm-hmm. which was basically, I thought, I thought it was a very good point. So making the point that um, because Finn Russell is so unique, if he is injured, if he's unavailable for a reason... Isn't this is not, my argument about Finn Russell? Not, well, you've just said there is no reason why you, okay. you drop him. The unique so this, talent argument. So this this argument um, does make sense. And if you if you agree with this, then I guess you disagree with yourself from 30 seconds ago. Mm-hmm. It's um, entirely possible. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because he's so unique, you can... You can never replace him, so you need someone else to like have some experience of doing something else uh, that is not Finn Russell. The Sam James paradox. Yeah, I guess. I guess um, Finn Russell is an even sharper example of the Sam James paradox. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so. 
But they so he was definitely out of the first game because he was unavailable because Scotland played their first game um, outside the window. Outside the window, so he was unavailable. But then he was brought in for the was he brought in for the second game or was did he only come in for the New Zealand game? I can't actually remember. No, I can't either. Um, yeah. Oh, look, they had a handsome win over a oh, very good team. Yeah, he did only play the third. He started the third game because they gave Adam mm. Hastings a shot in the second game. Yeah. We talk about France now. Um, yes, unless you've got any more points oh, well, just to go, Argentina are, are in England's pool, and again, we saw what the candidate took in them, but they are a bizarre... They're just a bizarre team. Like Michael Cech has done a really good job with them, but... Um, a red that... card and three, a red card and three yellows. Weirdly, they actually scored that. They actually scored that a try. <laughs> they look really good with twelve players. Yeah, do yeah. you think Michael um, Chuck is good with um, the Argentines because he's got Lebanese parents? <laughs> well, he's good. <laughs> he's used to playing or coaching thirteen men on the pitch. So yeah, well, there is that. <laughs> there's the crossover there. Um, that that Buffelli try. Was it, well, they, were, they, were, they were down to 12 yeah. men at that point, weren't they? Carreras and set him up, yeah. Yeah, that that was a lovely try. Boffelli is some player. Yeah, isn't he? He's, he's a, good. He's a hell of a player. Tell has got some tell he's got some good players. Japan. <laughs> Japan. Japan. Tell you what, two of their yeah. tries were beautiful. They always score some nice tries. God, set piece tries as well. Yeah, that first phase, first phase tries that against one in, France. Yeah, that one in the the right at the start of the now, second half. Now, Wato Saito, Saito, uh, yes, Saito, Saito, yeah. beautiful, beautiful try. The line that they cut for that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know where they'll end up in the World Cup and how many teams they'll they'll beat, but they'll do something. They'll uh, beat somebody. I I loved the last World Cup, obviously, because we were watching some of the games. We watched we watched them beat Scotland and maybe Ireland. Yep. Uh, in Japan with Japanese fans around us and that was pretty special it was France are just the best team on the planet there's not really much other way to put it I mean so I didn't think they played that well today yeah they no, weren't but at their best they have not been at their best this autumn and I think that's oh I don't know what is I think what this is autumn that is, oh no I think they're some way short of their best yeah they weren't best today because they're missing players obviously Dupont makes a huge difference I'm not convinced that Maxine Luku is the replacement for him at I, all I it, tend to it was, a ve- it was a very Dupont-esque run that scored the try yeah ba- ba- Baptiste Salud Kalud however you say his name when he came on he looked Cui- uh, Cuyo that's, that's an incredible pronunciation I would never have got never have got, got there Cuyo and I thought Jalibert when he came off the bench is really making a strong case for himself to start. So that, that that's, that's the chat in France. That yeah. is the big chat in France. And that's that is an interesting point because I thought I thought Entermac has looked a bit static and stale. Now I didn't know. Hold I, on, you stop that right right there. Entermac looks amazing. I, He's been playing <laughs> a bit you, stale. You are correct, Tim. Of course, he looks fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, he has been, and I. I don't know how much of that is because I read just before the start of the tournament, just before I actually first saw him play, that he's hardly played for Toulouse this season because because of injuries. And so in my head, I've put two and two together. And I'm, of course, saying that he's been static and stale. But I I thought um, Shelley Bear looked great when he came on. A lot more spark than uh, than Entomac has given. I'll tell you who else has been playing brilliantly. Uh, Ramos. Yeah, he looked so lively when he takes off. It is very impressive. He's a lot quicker than I give him credit for. Yeah, a lot quicker. He's kicked excellently. He can step in as a second receiver at at ten. He knows when to play as well. He knows when to kick because he's got a good boot. But 
He's been looking good. Dante's the interesting one for me because he does a job. And they seem to be quite reliant on him going forward. Just just his sheer strength and power is scary, actually. Um, it's interesting because I think that Intermac for them is like talismanic. And if he's not playing particularly well at 10 and Jalibert is the boy, does Intermac then go into that Dante role? Because they're completely different players. Totally different players. Dante is a typical French 12 who gets over the game line. Jalibert, sorry, Entermac is something more like a, you know, an, 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 Ang, an Anglo or an, a Celtic an sort of... Yeah, 12, yeah. He's more like an Aussie 12 when, yeah. he, when he plays 12. So they're completely different players. But it can work because Fiku is incredibly strong and direct too. Yeah. Um, that that Dante and Fiku, people often forget just how big Fiku is. Because he, he plays on the wing. Yeah. I, think, I think he's like 6'2 or 6'3 and 105 kilos. Yeah, and he's pretty athletic with it too. He, he's very athletic. He's a big boy figure. That, that centre partnership is very, very big. Yeah. Well, the, the, I just had to. I just had to take my um, uh, sort my headphones out. So, I did, so apologies if he said it already. But speaking of big, strong boys that played very, very well, Julien Marchand was awesome. Marchand was awesome. Oh, Aldrich was awesome. Olivon, Olivon to me. What? Uh, talking about talking about people that look good. Oh my goodness me. He might be the best looking man on earth. He's up well, there, isn't he? Olivon has the look of a World Cup winning captain. He's got a look of a film star. He do, he he just looks magnificent. I can just see him lifting the trophy. Um he will he will look magnificent doing it. Yeah. Uh, Marchon is great. I think Malvaco just brings violence and running combined to a new level. <laughs> Marshawn's arms are so amazing. Mm. <laughs> the guy is just enormous. I, I, I love the options they've got. I've, I've got a lot of time for it. And, and like I say, I didn't think France were particularly good. Yeah. I think um, they've got a lot of improvement to make. And they, they, they've rounded off an unbeaten year. They've rounded off an unbeaten autumn. They could quite, com- they could quite easily have lost the first two games. Yeah. Yeah, I think they've got now this core of a team, quite a young team, um, but lads that just will not get dropped. So Aldrit seems to be an automatic starter to me. Um, Fiku is an automatic starter. Pino, who's going to replace Pino? He's amazing. Yeah, Pino very handy. Um, Dupont and Untermac are... Untermac's the one that could be dropped, but he probably won't be. Olivon and Jalonche and Aldrit forms a very handy back row. Wocky has to play. He's another guy I love. Yeah, He's probably one of the best players on the planet at what he does. And having uh, the 6-2 split with Makalu is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he has done interesting things off the bench, um, particularly on the wing. He's, he's not too bad. He's like, he's like the, uh, the inverse of Jack Knoll. Inverse Jack Knoll. <laughs> Negative Jack Knoll. <laughs> <laughs> Negative Knoll. Yeah. Makalu. Yeah. It's, well, he's it, more like a, a Ben Earl, if Eddie trusted Ben Earl to play on the wing occasionally. Who was talking about Ben Earl playing rugby league this week? Someone was talking about that. No, someone was talking about uh, Tom Curry. No, there was a, there was a, there was someone from rugby league said the two players they would take from Union to go and play league. I think Ben Earl was one of them. Is that what happened? There was yeah, maybe. I don't. Really I think see... it might have been Ben Earl and might have been Ben Earl and Owen Farrell. I can't remember who. No, it was Tom who, Curry. Who Definitely Tom Curry seems to ring. Tom about. Curry, yes, it was Curry. And was it Curry and Earl? Yeah, I think it was. I'd love to see Tom Curry give the 13-man code a bash. Mm. He's an interesting player. I don't think he would do as well as Earl. 
Tom Tom Curry, there's some. It's the way he plays. There is no other player that gets his England kit as dirty as Tom Curry does. <laughs> the violence. He, he he ends every game with a green kit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a powerful bloke. I'll give him that much. He is frightening, very much so. So next week we've got some more internationals. Oh, so there's only, oh. only two internationals next week. Hang on a minute, boys. Just let's let's just calm down a bit. Premiership Cup this weekend. Yeah, whatever. Did say whatever. Win? More important than that is how Marlowe got on. How did they get on this this week? Uh, well, as you well know, it's a fallow week for the domestic teams for, for the first team. But I'm so invested in Marlowe. I want to know how their women. Their second. I think the, the women probably lost, as did the second team. That's what I think. I wouldn't be surprised if the under-16s went away today and lost as well. Uh, you, um, you, you'd be pleased to know that Sean has messaged us. Oh, yes. <laughs> and unfortunately, he says, no no first team for, for no first team game this weekend. Seconds lost and the ladies' team lost. So the wheels have come off. off. However... The under-16s um, hosted uh, Ponty Clun, under-16s, and had the is that, best Is that a made-up name? I don't Could know. well be. don't know. doesn't sound <laughs> yeah. like tributes, uh, tri- tributes south-north to me. So what he says... Ponty Clun. What he says, we, the under-16s, hosted Ponty Clun and had the best time. He then says they won handsomely. Uh, yeah, they won handsomely. So Ponty Clun won handsomely, but the clubhouse was alive uh, and the crack was brilliant. That's, this is what local rugby is all about. Very oh, so nice. It was, tour, it was a touring team. Well, I I do have it on authority um, that I know Marlow under fourteens are considering a tour to Manchester. Because oh wow! One of, their, one of their former players moved to Chalton and he plays at Raffy Quirks Broughton Park. Rudge match. Nice. Uh, who is that player? Who yeah. is said player? I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, all I know is that Raffy Quirks Broughton Park under fifteens today. Um, one forty-three ten against Heaton Moor. Beat down, beat down. Yeah. at their place with their referee. More. I just, you know, it happens sometimes when in the Lancashire in the in the Lancashire Cup reverse fixture a few weeks ago, uh, some of the people on the some of the parents and coaches on the Heaton Moor touchline were less than complimentary about the referee and felt wow. they were hard done by Have in their you... Lancashire Cup defeat. I... That just that, that as you can imagine, that added some fuel to the lads. Uh, Motivations going out and playing tomorrow, and uh, have you yeah, sorted we're, we're out two, your we're two heat and more and one forty three ten? Have you sorted yes. out uh, sorted out your training your training dramas yet with with the pitch? Oh, it's uh, it's ongoing, JV. I'll just say that. All, all I say this right. So there, there's one completely floodlit training pitch on a mm-hmm. Wednesday night. Uh, there were twenty nine players on that, which were from three different age groups. Um, so you can do the maths there about. 12 players 12 or so players each uh, meanwhile on the half floodlit pitch uh, we had one third of it and we had 24 lads hmm. oh dear very yeah. very congested small-sided games mate yeah but not not great when you want to do a team run and uh no and, and, wor- and work some moves and string some phases together for two reasons one you don't have the space and, and two you can't see the ball when you go do you know uh, why those pitches at the back of Broughton park are so poor no idea. Do you know, Phil? Do you know what history I, of Broughton Park is? I don't know. Well, that whole area around Broughton Park was actually an airfield for airships during the Second World War. So yeah. what they did is they uh, levelled it, they put some ruby pictures on it and, and the way you went. But every so often, things from underneath start getting pushed their way yeah. up. And we're talking like um, railway girders, uh, 
you know, actual rail line bricks. I mean, there were hangars there. There were hangars there for massive airships. And that's what they flew out of. Um, you need a, a big hangar for an airship. Fucking, sorry, sorry. <laughs> a very big hangar. <laughs> a very large hangar. <laughs> Yeah. You, you, how how large you of interest? A, a, I'm I'm not surprised that you know this. Um, one because you're you played at Broughton Park, so you would and you would take an interest in the history. Exactly. But secondly, because I'm sure you considered a, an airship business at some point, didn't you? Airlander Ten. Oh, what I couldn't tell you about Airlander Air, Air Ten. <laughs> you should, yes. You should start, one day. One start the... Was that was that your cross cross Pennines? Yes. Yes. Plan? You could get from Huffend on an Airlander. To That's she- South Manchester for anyone not, yeah. who obviously doesn't know where Huffend is. But to, yeah. to Sheffield, uh, what's the um, what's the shopping centre called? Meadow Hall. Meadow Hall, yeah. yeah. In about 10 minutes. <laughs> well, now that the Mottram Bypass has been approved... Has it? Thank you, Robert Largan MP. Um, you'll, be the, you'll be there in under 10 minutes. Really? really? No, not really. I was going to say. You'll be there. At the moment, it's an <laughs> awful, awful journey across Isn't the it? Snake Pass or Woodhead Pass. It's an absolute for, disgrace, actually. For like a 40-mile, 30, 40-mile journey, it's an absolute Between disgrace. two major UK cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to... It's bonkers, isn't it? Which is the shortest motorway in the UK? M65? Oh, it's... it's Wrong. Oh, no, it's an, it's an A road. I know there's a road on the, on the Manchester flyover bit. That there's a little bit of road that they were going to build and then they stopped. M67. M- I was going to say yeah. M67 being the other one. You work your way up M65, no M66, no M67, no. yes. M67 is what, like, I think it's like eight kilometres? Yeah, it's tiny. Yeah. Just from, well, M60 to kind of Mottram around there. It, yeah. The only the only disappointing thing about if, if, the, if the journey across the Pennines uh, is changed is there's that, there's that brilliant house in the middle of the M62 yes. to Leeds, between Manchester and Leeds. There's that one bloke who refused to move. So <laughs> would not take the sort of the land purchase order on his house. He went, I'm not moving anywhere. So they built the road around him. So I've, I have heard, that was the old story I always used to get told um, when I was a kid um, going over the, the Pennines. I've also heard that that is not actually the true story. Oh, really? That the, the land... Uh, I just I just stop you at this point and say, please, if if you're listening right now and you've got no idea what I'm talking about, just Google house between Manchester and Leeds on the M62 and get a picture of it so you can get the full effect of Phil telling yeah. the story. Go on, Phil. Yeah, well, it, and it is. It's the highest around there. It is the highest motorway in England as well. Um, so you're at the top of the Pennines and it's a house jammed in the middle. The motorway splits and the the eastbound lane. Um, is on the north side and the west, westbound lane is on the south side of this house and there's a little bridge under, sorry, a little um, tunnel under the motorway. It's called Slot Hall Farm, Phil. Is it? Is Slot, it? Slot, yeah. Slot Hall Farm. Um, but the, no, I've heard, and I don't know how true Stot, this is. Sorry, Slot Hall Farm. Slot Hall Farm. Um, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard that they they never actually made an offer to him because the lie of the land and the... Um, conditions of the land for his little farm is unsuitable so they were always going to the best thing the simplest and cheapest thing was always to split the motorway in that section and have kind of the higher and lower um, bands the north and or the eastbound and westbound wow but I don't know how true that is I'm sure someone will write to us um, contact headchasers at gmail.com to tell us I'm looking at an article from February of this year um, on 
Oh, man. These local newspaper websites are dreadful. The amount of adverts and stuff they chuck up at you. Um, Farmer Paul Thorpe has told what it's like to live in the middle of the M62, um, why it's in the middle of the motorway, and the stubborn father, uh, farmer myth. Mm. So I think you are right, Phil. Interesting. So let's move on from this. Sail Sharks. <laughs> yeah. Sail Sharks. Premiership Cup. I don't care. Well, Does anybody care? Yes, of course. Ryan Mills care. cares because he's been signed by Sale. There's been a few more okay. bits of business, isn't there? Yeah, so it's not so much that we care about the Premiership Cup. Of course, we do care about the Premiership Cup. But it's the no, no, arrival of so many new players. So um, this week, Bath have signed Alfie Barbary. Yep. Uh, Sale have signed Ryan Mills. Um, looks like Jack Willis. Sorry, who signed Barbary? Bath. Bath. Long, long-term deal. Yeah. Oh, that's um, a, oh, my word. That's exciting. They just need to keep him fit. Although, yeah, I was going to say, Bath is the one club that has really consistently bad injury. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry players. about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. It'll just be fine. Um, uh, who's the other one? Uh, the Will Jack. I are going to Toulouse. And Bordeaux, respectively. Or Bordeaux, yeah. Yep. Is it so, Bordeaux? So are, Jack... are they not both going to the same one? No, uh, no, Tom is going to Bordeaux. Jack is going oh, to Toulouse. The no. will I head to head in a top fourteen clash next season? That's going to be fun to watch. It now, will. That does also present a bit of a dilemma because Jack is obviously in the England squad at the moment, um, but he will be playing in France for. I know. Um, that's so. That's I don't actually know the length of the deal, but he will be playing in France immediately up to England going to a World Cup, and. Obviously, Zach Mercer is having to come home, as Chris Ashton's done previously, as others have done as well. Not really fair, is it? It's if he's able to play for Toulouse. Now, it it does depend on how they invoke the rule, because there's always been this exceptional circumstances rule, mm. but it's never been... I don't, I don't believe... Never it's, been successfully used, no. It's never been used. So um, this could set a precedent that Zach Mercer... Uh, going to play for lots and lots of money in Montpellier um, and also getting out of Bath is uh, not um, an exceptional circumstance. However, a club going into administration and a load of players becoming... Un- um, you do feel, though, don't you, redundant. if exceptional circumstances were going to be invoked, it'd be for the Saracens boys who ended up in France last year after the relegation. So, like, Lazos... I mean, Lazoski's not played for England for a long time. Yeah. So you'd have there, thought there that was, would be one. But there was no one... So there was there was no one. And the champion, was, oh, the championship, did that count? Or did they just change the rules? But they, they've just got to be playing in England. Yeah. They've, they've never had I, to. I really hope this is the accidental dismantling of the whole concept. Yep, completely agree. If it all goes, I think it's terrible. Okay. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> Ryan Mills, time for sale, is a hell of a bit of business. Um, again, I okay. would, I would, I would uh, have the Barbary caveat. They were in for. He, he hardly played for Wasps since he's been at, when he was at Wasps. Yeah, so they were in he's hardly played for about five years. Oh, mind you, mind you, played was he at Wasps last year as well. Um, no, they, no, no, he moved from Worcester last year. Yes, he yeah, did. he's hardly played. So, so yeah. they're in for two players. Berger, o, Berger, Odendell. That's the boy I would have got. Yeah, he was yeah. Um, about to move to Sale. And I went, no, we want you. We want you, Ryan Mills. Ryan Mills, because you're half the price. Uh, well, I mean, Price might have paid, paid a, a part in it, but he's big. That's it. That, that, there you forward, go. That's the Manu Tuolangi tax right there. Yeah. They, 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 they've got Manu, so they had to go for Ryan Mills instead of Berger Odendahl. And who, yes. and who else 
played for sale this weekend. Woodward? Correct. Jason Woodward also played. Mm. And they won by about a million points. Now, did you see did you see the try scorers for the Barbarians against Bath? No. Uh, unattached players. Okay, uh, was so Mar- like Robson, Was Marlon Yard one of them? Marlon Yard was not one of them. No. So it was like Robson and... No, Robson's gone to... J- Puha. Oh, no, Robson's gone to either Perpignan or Pau. Per- okay. Perpignan, I think. Who? Who? Uh, no, but he was playing. Um, is, is he not unattached? Uh, he might be unattached. But hmm. He was he was playing, but he didn't score a try. Tom Cruise. What what, no. what, what website can I look at to find Elliot the results Spook. of this? I've just looked at BBC and like they they have. I've got all of the women's Allianz Premier Fifteens. Um, Wonderful. I've got I've got all of National One. I've got no Barbarians. We bath. Um, I'll tell you that. So JB uses the terrible uh, Mike Brown Ultimate Rugby app. Marco Manfredi, Luther Burrell. Um, so the app that I've started using is Tribe. Which is quite good. Is that an Exeter-based one? It's oh, I've heard someone else say this. It's not, but it, I, it's. I've heard someone else mention this. It's really good. Uh, I, I've had it recommended to me. I can't remember who said it. It was. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you reminded me of that. It's not bad. It's not bad. So you can set up. Here's my. Um, here's my tribe homepage, JB. So these are all the. Wow! Look at that. All the leagues I'm following. Following Premier Rugby, Ultimate Rugby Championship, International Rugby. I'm already. I've, I've got. Um, in 292 days' time, the first Rugby World Cup in France 23 kicks off. I've got Top 14, Champions Cup, Challenge Cup, uh, Women's Rugby World Cup, uh, the Rugby League World Cup, and then Cricket, Premier League, uh, oh. Super Rugby, Super Rugby Pacific. I've got everything. Wow, that's oh. really impressive. So, yeah, it's it's not bad. The only thing it doesn't do is it doesn't give you player details. So you'd have to go separately to Remember, look up the players. We used to have a sponsor called Sports Lobster. What have happened to Sports Lobster? Good question. Yeah, isn't. But the the, the two unattached didn't sponsor us enough. Yeah, exactly yes. right. The two unattached try scorers who both got a double were Big Luth and Mike Brown. Wow! They both got doubles, and a last minute and eighty-first minute Damian McKenzie drop goal won it for the Barbars. Apparently, McKenzie was outstanding again. He is. He's, David McKenzie is a ridiculous, exceptional talent. If any other, t- if he's playing for any other nation on earth, except maybe France, mm. he'd be playing. I agree with you. I, I totally agree. Any other games next week? There's no as you uh, Premiership Cup final, mate. Maybe no. There's Premiership, actual Premiership, actual real live bona fide Gallagher with, English Premiership. Tell yeah, me about the Premiership with, well, with Welsh players back in the mix with. Scottish players back in... Oh, no, Wales play Australia, but the Welsh Premiership players will be back playing for the Premiership, won't they? And, uh, crucially, the South African players will be back. Not that there's a huge number playing in the Premiership, but... Oh, yeah, it does take the shine off England v South Africa a little bit, doesn't it? It does. But the... So, we'll do Premiership first, then we'll do um, the couple of internationals. So, we've got... uh, On Friday night, Harlequins host Gloucester. Give me... Quins. Harlequins. And... Yeah, it, I think that'll be quite comfortable. And Falcons host Chiefs. 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 They're a horrible place to go on a Friday night. Yeah, <laughs> but Chiefs are a horrible team. That They'll be fine. Well, great great for the beers afterwards on Friday. But other yeah, than that, yeah, fair. tough. Um, oh, I forgot about the Wales players being back and available now because I... Was Chris Chunza, is he injured? 
I, anyway, I dropped him from my fantasy rugby draft thing, which I'm, well, I was. Well, either way, David Jenkins is available. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but he's not Christians, or is he? No, he's not. The beatdown of all beatdowns will be occurring at the AJ Bell on Sunday 27th. Sunday 27th is a week after. Saturday. Uh, Saturday. Are you on I think, it's a, live, I think it's a live game on BT Sports, say it'll be Bristol. At one o'clock on, I've got it one on o'clock Saturday. Sunday. Are you on Ultimate no, Rugby app? Guilty? JB, why do you do this every <laughs> single week? Yeah, there seems to be no Saturday games according to uh, Ultimate Rugby. Brilliant. So, Saturday sale host Bristol at the AJ Bell, one o'clock. App. Absolute beatdown. Bristol will get precisely zero change out of sale. Precisely. Yeah, give me sale. Yeah. Absolute embarrassment. Yeah, the sale will win. And that is the precursor for the two international games as well. But we'll get into that in a minute because the, the Sunday games, Leicester Tigers v London Irish. The mm. uh, Possibly the Hassel Collins Bowl in the future. Yeah, he's off to London Irish. Um, Leicester Tigers, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and, oh God, London Irish are bottom of the league, aren't they? Not confirmed yet, but highly touted. Mm. Mm. Well, I said an interesting one is um, Launchbury ending up in Harlequins. That is interesting. Lovely move up. It's a, it is a very good move. Mm. Mm. Um, um, so everyone's saying Leicester Tigers? Yeah, and I'm saying South Africa lose. No, South Africa win, and the last game of the internationals is? Wales versus Australia. I don't care. But, is it, but Australia. England South Africa is interesting because South Africa any um South Africa player who plays for a European club will be unavailable. Yep. Which it's not hu- well, it's not huge. They've still got lots of depth, but Vincent Cock, Trevor Nyakane, Jasper Visa, Kobus Reinach, Cheslin Colby, although he was injured this week, and Andre Esterhazen all all return to their clubs. And so South Africa have called up a few players including uh, Thomas Tatoy, Marco van Staden and Johan Usen. Bloody hell, they're not bad, are they? Not too bad. I mean, on paper, at least they're brilliant. Marco van Staden and Johan Usen in particular. Yeah. So, um, that that will be interesting. Um, England have got to just... Now, <clears throat> for, six, for 70 minutes this week... Oh, no, no. I'll rephrase that. For 40 minutes this week, England really struggled to do anything. And part of it was their inability for that first 40 to get on the front foot mm. and they are not going to be they are not going to be getting on the front foot any more against South Africa than they were against I New Zealand so they've got to find a way to do stuff without um, being dominant um, getting over the game line dominantly that's why they've got to get that edge excellent any more for any more um, Australia are going to win Australia are going to beat Wales Australia are going to beat Wales and uh it's going to be bad, bad times for Wales. Tim, any um, anything from Culture, Culture Corner? Uh, anything you've been watching, reading? Want to share with it? Uh, share with anyone? Yes, I, something I have been reading. So I, I was um, someone I've known for a while through radio, and he's he's a stand-up comedian, very very funny guy, and he's he's written his second book called Billy No Mates. Um, Max Dickens is called, and okay. it's a very very funny book, and it's it's very pertinent to rugby actually. So I, I did I did a little I hosted a little event with him on Thursday night because um, mm. it's November's a month when lots of male issues get thrown under the spotlight and mm-hmm. three quarters of men um, are, uh, suicides are done by three three quarters of suicides are mm. men mm. homeless all the rest of it so uh, this book Billy No Mates is it's really funny I'll I'll just pass it on to you when I finish reading it I'm almost through it now mm. but think, it's, think I need it basically the concept is 
um, what well, the story of the, of this book starts when he's going to propose to his. They're now married, but he's going to propose to his uh, his his other half, and he considers who his best man would be, and he and he realizes he doesn't really he doesn't really have anyone that's close, and uh, he's he's worked really hard, and he hasn't nurtured his relationships, and and it basically just admitting I'm not I don't really have any friends i've got lots of acquaintances the friends that i used to have but and i think it's something which which a lot of people uh, well and in fact his book goes on to say that a lot of people find themselves in this situation where they have people that they know through work and they have some but sort of actual meaningful relationships they don't have many of them as men and you end up there's a there's a comedian i think he says um that men don't have friends they have wives who have husbands <laughs> <laughs> Um, and there's a lot to be said for that. The book's brilliant, um, but it just as he as as I read it, and as we he was we were doing this talk the other night, it made me realise just what an amazing place a rugby club is. Because mm. yes, the, the, just for fraternity and for relationships and stuff, which men actually find really hard to nurture, just going down on a Tuesday night if you if you're still playing and on a Saturday, or just turning up at your club. And uh, it's it's an it's an amazing place where a lot of these issues that men find themselves in um, are solved, and, and the link between loneliness and health is absolutely stark. It's um, mm. so that, that's kind of a, a sort of sincere. I, d- I don't think it's what you were quite expecting or asking for. No, but, I want to um, know what you've been I, doing. I, that, that's Which is great. That's 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 what I've been doing, and I, I would totally recommend the book. Billy No Mates, really good. Yeah, very I've funny. Just, I've just looked it up. It is available on on Amazon, so. It, that would be a good, um, good Christmas gift as well. Uh, oh, and the other, yeah, the other thing in terms of Christmas gifts, that's the only other thing I'm going to say. Um, Kate tonight has done uh, with a friend of hers um, a Indian cooking course at a place in Didsbury, and she just sent me the pictures of like, this is what I've cooked. There's food here. When you get back, you can eat this tomorrow. And it just made me think: it's getting someone a cooking course for Christmas. You rather half a cooking course for Christmas is the best gift because it's actually a gift Great for yourself. Idea. Mm. Yes, it's a great idea. That is very clever. That is a great, great idea. Well, I've been I've been reading the latest Peter Z- Peter Zion book, which is basically about the collapse of globalization, and that's why Phil, I've been sending you all of those cheerful texts on a daily basis <laughs> about how society is going to crumble before our eyes in the next decade. It's all about. Give me the headline. Give me the headline. I don't think you have to convince me of this, JB. I think I'm very much on board. <laughs> yeah. Give me the headlines on how it's going to crumble. Demographic collapse uh, in all the Western societies plus China, which will result in the collapse of trade, which will which will result in the collapse of su- uh, supply systems and, in- and intermediary goods crossing into international um, borders, and then basically all the shop shelves. Empty, and uh, we go back to the dark ages, effectively. Mm. When, when you say demographic collapse, is this a part? Because I know that birth rates are plummeting. Yes, in Western as, is, as is fertility. Levels of testosterone and fertility are plummeting. And you'd never get that from Twitter, would you? You'd never read Twitter and think, this is happening. No, you wouldn't. But I think I mentioned last week, I've just started watching uh, The Handmaid's Tale. And, um, like, yeah, the, the echoes... That, yeah, the echoes. Yeah, so I really recommend the Peter Zion book. Uh, I think there's some holes how in do it. You spell it. How do you spell his surname? Great question. Don't know. Do not know. Uh, if I type in the title, The Collapse of... No, it is. It the End of the World is Just the Beginning by Peter Zion. Z-E-I-H-A-N. 
the end uh, of the world Zihan. is just a bit mapping the collapse of globalization. Yeah, mm. it's a really engaging book. And if nothing else, Ooh. it's just an amazing book about the history of trade. Mm. Nothing else. I, well, I, and I hope we can look. I hope we can look back and laugh at people like Peter Zion in the future and go, "What, what, what were you thinking, mate?" But yes. there's there's too many people at the minute who are saying things that sound outlandish that are true, are, are very much coming true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, with that exceptionally <laughs> right. Anything, Phil? Anything to anything to add, Phil? Um, I I will just mention one little thing as a. You, we kind of said as a stocking filler or as a gift, the um, uh, Billy No Mates book. Um, a chap I work with has developed his own product that is currently available on Amazon as a little stocking filler. What is it? It's, it's called Flicker, uh, F-L-I-K-K-E-R. It's a light switch attachment. This is so long a walk. <laughs> this is pretty cool. So you stick it on your light switch, the light switch over there in the corner. Yep. It's got two targets, one at the top and one at the bottom, and some little bean balls, and you can use it to throw and turn your light switches on and off. Wow. Or get a uh, like a Nerf dart or something like that. That, I mean, that, that, that is astounding. So it's about, about, I need to see this now. What? It's about 10 quid um, from Amazon, and it would, be, it would be a very good little stocking filler for, for Louis um, or, or anyone. Um so flicker. yeah, uh, is it double K? Double K, yeah. Flicker with double K. Flicker light switch attachment. Um, it's it the is, light switch game. It's come up as yeah. It's it's quite cool. So have have a little look at that. Oh, that yeah, that's neat. Yes, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Wow, does he like? Has he sold many? Is he making like money off that? Um, that's a very good question. Um, he's not sold many yet. It's only been uh, on Amazon for a matter of weeks or even days. Um, but he's hoping to sell a few before Christmas. And, and is that the sort of thing that you? There's, there's no uh, IP you can have on that, is, can you? Because it's just a throw. How can you? Sort of, um, what's the word? Patent. Uh, I have a thing that you lob at a light. Yeah. Well, the, the connection onto the light fitting is. I can't remember if he's actually got it patented, um, but yeah, it's it's quite good fun, quite an interesting little toy. Astounding, yeah, astounding. Right. Well, on that note, let's let's call it today. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for doing all those things, and we will see you next week with even more rugby. Goodbye. Yeah. Good work. Right. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.